This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. We often talk about the power of compounding on this podcast. I've done a whole bunch of podcasts about it over the years, but most investors never really see it in action. Why is that? I feel it's because we're all selling too soon. And I'm not only talking about individual stocks, I'm also talking about even the indexes. In my opinion, you don't really see the power of compounding in a stock um, until about year number five. And I'm not just talking about the stock price, I'm also talking about any dividends they may pay. So you may get like only a couple dollars in the first year, but by year number five, maybe you've doubled that and you're not really paying attention, but maybe you should. And usually by about year five, you start to notice, hey, I'm getting a bigger payout than I thought I was. But is the compounding factor and the power of it really this magical secret that everybody thinks it is? Does it work for everybody? Is it like so easy? You just buy anything and hold it, and the power of compounding will take you to the end game. Uh, some of you may remember the story I've told of my grandmother who inherited some shares of Exxon from her dad in 1972. I've done podcasts about my grandma in the past, and she held them for 46 years before she passed away at the age of 97. She did sell some of it over the years. She didn't just get the shares and then uh, keep them and keep reinvesting, but she still had a decent number at the time she passed. She mostly kept it as an emotional attachment to her father because he was the big investor in the family. So this was her way of kind of keeping a connection. But her younger sister, my great aunt, also inherited part of the Exxon shares in 1972, and she never sold any. She's still with us, and I've talked with her about it over the years. And by 2005, she told me she had 500 shares. Now, neither she nor my grandmother ever remembered exactly how many shares they inherited. And I've tried to figure it out just based on my great aunt having 500 shares and she never sold. And then it was reinvested in there. So I want to say it was only, you know, 20 or 25 shares or something very small because there were five children and they all split the uh, shares. So it was small when they got it in 1972, but my great aunt is going to be 101 this July and she's still holding on. But Exxon, however, has struggled since 2005 when I talked with her and when she had 500 shares. So that's a little over 18 years ago. And just looking at the stock from, say, the beginning of 2005, so January 3rd, 2005, that was the first trading day of that year, to June 13th, 2023, when I have been preparing this podcast, the shares are up, but up only 107.7%. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 during that same period was up 260.5%, and the NASDAQ, even better, up 523%. However, all is not lost. Exxon is a dividend aristocrat. 
And what that means is it has paid a dividend every quarter for over 20 years, and it has raised the dividend all of those consecutive years. So um, actually Exxon has raised its dividend for 41 consecutive years now, and that would have been uh, the entire time my great aunt has actually owned it. Plus, and then some, she owned it a little bit longer than that even, but for the last 41 years, that dividend has been increased. So Exxon tells us on the Exxon Investor Relations page, they have a whole section on their dividend and they have like an investment calculator on there and some other fun stuff. But they said over the last 10 years, the dividend has increased on average of 4.23%. So uh, that's been higher than inflation, and Exxon is currently yielding 3.4%. But let's see how the compounding would have worked with my great aunt. And I am going to start in January 2005, just because that's easy, and that's when she told me she had 500 shares. So the first dividend that was paid out that year would have been February 8, 2005. It was 27 cents a share. She had 500 shares times 27 cents, she would have gotten $135. 10 years later, the first dividend paid out in 2015 would have been 69 cents because they had been raising it throughout that whole period. Those same 500 500 shares would have paid out at 69 cents, $345. So she went from 135 to 345 for that quarter in those 10 years, if she had not been reinvesting the money and had even more shares, but we're assuming the 500 shares. Flash forward now to February, 2023. This isn't 10 years later, again, it's only eight years, but Exxon is now paying 91 cents. So those same 500 shares are now paying $455 for this uh, quarterly dividend. And again, that's if she wasn't reinvesting the dividend, buying more shares, she would continue to compound it on that. And I'm pretty sure she has been, but I need to ask her. <laughs> so I need to need to make some phone calls, right? Um, but uh, this is quite an increase in just the dividend yield itself. So we had 2005, $135. 2015, $345, 2023, $455, and it's still um, increasing, and uh, they are still raising the dividend yearly as a dividend aristocrat. Of course, there's no guarantees on the dividend. There never has been, but Exxon, one of the few companies that did continue to raise it, especially in the energy sector, when energy has been in a bear market during the Great Recession, during the pandemic, when energy went negative, they uh, still raised, even if it was just a penny, they still raised, and that's impressive. Um, but the longer she's holding on to this, the more the compounding can do its thing. This is just 18 years, uh, but she's owned it much longer than that. So the compounding is really picked up for her on at least the dividend side, not so much the stock side. Now, remember in Morgan Hassel's great book, The Psychology of Money, it was out during the pandemic. It's out in paperback. You can get it in Amazon. 
Uh, I really recommend this book, Psychology of Money. It's not really about investing, but he does talk about investing in it. And he talks about how Buffett didn't become a billionaire until he was 62 years old. Now, 30 years later, he is worth something like 130 billion. And that he discusses is the power of compounding and being invested, not just for 10 years, not just for 18 years, like I was just discussing with my great aunt, but for 70 years. And in the later years is where the compounding really picks up its steam if you're getting some good returns. So I recently read an article on Benzinga by Janine Mancini. And um, the headline was something like how Warren Buffett's neighbors made $400 million or something like that. So of course I had to click on it. And uh, the story recounts uh, a famous story about his neighbors who in 1965 gave uh, big chunk of the retirement savings, which was $67,000 then. That was a lot of money, inflation adjusted. It's about $650,000 today. So that's a big chunk. They gave that money to the 35-year-old money manager who lived on their street, he lived on the block, and his name, of course, was Warren Buffett. Now, the article talks about how apparently he was only taking uh, money from investors who had 150,000, but because they were on his block, he knew um, he made an exception. So he said, yes, I will let you invest. So they did. By the mid-1990s, so about 30 years later, uh, because Berkshire Hathaway had such great returns, over 20% for many, many years, that $67,000 was now worth $25 million. That's the power of compounding when you get up to like 20%. So they apparently owned 833 shares of the Berkshire A shares. Uh, The wife died in 2000, and even just five years after the mid-90s, the shares doubled again because the 1990s were the crazy years on the market, and they doubled again to 50 million. So that was 35 years of investing, 67,000 were now 50 million. The husband didn't die until 2014. If they hadn't sold any of the shares, 833 shares would have been worth 180 million. And now by 2023, another nine years later, because the power of the compounding, it's almost worth $400 million at about 394 million. And it's been 58 years since they initially invested. And Berkshire Hathaway, one of the best performing stocks during that time period. Um, So they would have really benefited from that. And that is the power of compounding, right? But not everyone is going to get lucky and buy um, into Berkshire Hathaway in 1965 and get the Berkshire returns, right? Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors of all time. Again, my great aunt has owned Exxon since 1972. It's not that different from uh, this couple from 1965. And those shares are not worth anything close to 400 million today in 2023. So Exxon, as I mentioned, does have an investment calculator on its website. It only goes back to 1980. I think they feel like there's not many people that going back further than that, right? Um, but my great aunt does. I want to tell them my great aunt. Um, 
It, so it does not include the dividends. So you can't have it included with the dividends reinvested. But um, let's say my aunt, uh, my great aunt had 40 shares by uh, April 1980, because I think the calculator started in March. So I just went with April. So by April 1980, she had 40 shares. The original value would have been $1,136. The current value today is $34,060. That's actually not terrible because that's a gain of 2,898%. So she has seen some nice gains, but there's no you know, millions being mentioned there um, from 1980. This is a cyclical stock. So uh, cyclical stocks, a little more difficult to own for like the 30, 40, 50 years because they go in these big cycles. Um, if I would have used the time when she told me she had 500 shares uh, in January 3rd, 2005, the original value would have been $25,045. And the current value is just $53,220 or a 112.5% gain. As I said, they basically doubled in that time period, the little over 18 years. This is without the dividends. And the dividends would uh, give you a significant lift there. But again, there's no million dollars. There's not even $500,000 with this investment. Um, but if she has been reinvesting those dividends, which I'm pretty sure she has been, that 3% dividend and or higher that Exxon has been paying over those 18 years does add up when you're compounding. So again, but she would not be a millionaire from owning Exxon all those years. But my point with this podcast is to encourage all of us to let it compound, but uh, the magic secret of compounding, yes, it can work. And it's working on my aunt with the dividends, but it doesn't always do these amazing stories like the Warren Buffett neighbors because that's the lottery. That's the one once in a lifetime chance. And it's another reason to remind everybody not to put all your eggs in one basket. Don't own just one stock for 50 some odd years. Own numerous stocks for 50 some odd years and hope one of them is a little bit better than what Exxon did, you still may not get, and very few ever get a Berkshire Hathaway, but there is an in-between. It's not necessarily all or nothing, right, as an investor. So what if in 2005, uh, when she told me she had the 500 shares, she had bought 100 shares of Microsoft instead? It had been struggling in the early 2000s. It, uh, you know, had the big decline in the dot-com bust down into 2003. And then it really didn't go anywhere for numerous years. It didn't bust out to 2000 highs again until 2013. So it was a time of struggle. But if she had bought 100 shares there, I went on Microsoft's website and used their investing calculator. They do not uh, reinvest the dividends there either. So this is without the dividends. But 100 shares in 2005 on January 3rd would have been $2,674. That was her investment. It would now be worth um, $33,429. So that's up 1,150%. So quite a bit better than what uh, Exxon is up, 
and pretty impressive, but maybe not quite as impressive as you might have thought owning Microsoft for 18 years and four months. It's still not a million, right? Not not even close, but not not a bad return at all. Uh, taking, you know, getting that 1,150% return. Um, but I decided to look at a couple other stocks because I was curious, like, what are some other kind of middle of the road, my favorite kind of stocks to buy? And what if we compounded those, what it, would it be like? So compounding can be a secret weapon, a magical secret weapon, as I said, um, especially if that dividend is included. But again, you have to give it more time. If you tried to compound Microsoft from say 2005, to maybe you know 2008, right before the Great Recession, might not have looked so good. Um, but that's why investing for the long term is difficult. It's hard to stay in all those years. It's easy to look back now and be like, of course, I would have owned Microsoft for 18 years, but most of us would not. So, and to get the power of the compounding, you need more than a year. You need more than three years. Five years is the minimum. That's when I think you can start to see it, especially if you're in a bull market, but you may need 10 years or more. Um, and especially if you don't have a dividend, you may need that long. So take a look at the investor relation pages of your favorite kind of old economy, older stocks. Those are the ones that usually have the investment calculator on them. And I took a look at two of my favorites just to kind of see what was going on if I had a uh, you know, my great aunt didn't own Exxon and then she didn't own the Microsoft, but she decided to do one of these other kind of old economy stocks. So one of my other favorites is Sherwin-Williams, ticker SHW. It's the paint company and it's got a real good investment calculator with graphs and everything, and it allows the dividends to be reinvested. So everyone should use this uh, module that they put in there. Um, because it's good. So attention, other older companies that have this, please add the Sherwin-Williams module to your investment relations page. But I digress. Um, so if she had put $10,000 in on January 3rd, 2005, um, it would have been $218,357 after 18 years and four months. So the compound annual growth rate, which they provide in this calculator is 18.2% or 2,083%. The S&P 500, which I compared it to, was just 7.25% or 263.5%. 10,000 invested in the S&P 500 was $36,345. Now remember Microsoft, well, this was a much less amount, sorry. Microsoft outperformed it by a lot. So, um, but still not terrible for even the S&P 500, 263%, but you can see the difference between 7.25% annualized and 18.2% annualized. And this is with the dividends reinvested. So uh, dividends do matter, Sherwin-Williams does pay one, but the stock is not cheap here, even though it's off to uh, 2021 highs, it's still trading with a forward P of 28. So I don't own it and I haven't owned it because it's just too expensive for me as a value investor, but I keep it on my list because I do love the company, but it needs to get even more 
you know, even cheaper for me. Another one I loved and that I have talked about on the podcast is Fastenal, ticker F-A-S-T. F is in Frank, A is in Andrew, S is in Sam, T is in Tom, fast. It is uh, also not cheap at 27 times. So this is another one I don't own because it's just too cheap. It did also pull back in 2022, but it's rallying again. So um, it's just not, it's it's just not getting cheap enough for me. This one also has the investment calculator on its site and it's the same as the Sherman Williams one. So they listened to me and they also got the module and it allows you to reinvest the dividends as well. So 10,000 invested in Fastenal on January 3rd, 2005 was $114,922. That's 1,049% or 14.16% compounded annual growth rate. Uh, that's under what Williams was doing. But again, if I can get 14.16, that's much better than the S&P 500 during that period of just 7.25. It's double the S&P 500. And you can really see the compounding over those years of 14.16 on average gets you the 10,000 up to 114,922. But how many have stayed in this or in Sherwin-Williams or in Microsoft, as I mentioned, you would have had to stay in during the Great Recession when all of them sold off and sold off hard. You would have had to stay in during the muddle through of 2010, 2011, 2012. You would have had to stay in during the manufacturing recession, which did hit fast and all in a 2015 into 2016. You would have had to stay in when the pandemic hit, when COVID hit and everything sold off and people were uh, you know, panicking and uh, a little nervous about where these kinds of old economy companies were gonna go during that pandemic. And so you have to have a strong spine to get the compounding. And another little tip, on all of this, it's good for us value investors to look for the cheap stocks. We want to get businesses that are value, but we also want to get ones that do dominate their industry where they have seemingly won the contest, right? But how do you know they're going to win early on in the game? You may not, but Sherwin-Williams by 2005 um, had been around quite a long period of time by that point, decades. So you also didn't have to get in at the very earliest period with any of these. Microsoft had been a public company for a couple decades by 2005, almost three decades. And uh, so it all, you know, several of these for a couple of decades. So keep that in mind too. You don't have to get into like the next great thing at you know some small cap company a lot of these were already large caps by 2005 but there's still a lot of growth left in them and so that's what you need to be looking around for look for value stocks uh things that are you know with good price and that dominate their industry for those where you want to try to buy and hold also keep a diverse portfolio just one stock isn't diverse. Um, 
many have said anywhere between 10 and 20 stocks does get you diversity if you're looking at the individual stocks and not just the indexes. So keep that in mind. We've seen this with some of the best buy and hold investors like Ann Scheiber. She only uh, had like three or four big winners out of her hundred that she had in her portfolio. But those three or four winners were such great winners that it dominated her portfolio and compounding it over 50 years really took her to new heights. So have more than one, but don't just own ExxonMobil, um, have numerous so that you don't have to necessarily guess uh, 100% correct on the lottery stock, but hopefully you'll get something maybe even in between the lottery and the one that doesn't win. And as we've seen with Sherwin-Williams and Fastenal and even Microsoft um, in there, these can still be great winners and can still build your portfolio. So be diverse, be careful of the cyclicals too, like my great aunt and grandmother in that cyclical, but those are difficult. And uh, keep a watch on all your companies because the economy can change as we've seen. And something that is a winner or dominating in one era may not 20 or 30 years down the road. So keep that in mind. So let me recap some of the stocks I talked about on this episode on the magic of compounding, which is still magical, especially on the dividend side, but make sure you uh, you know choose wisely and have a diverse portfolio. But the stocks I mentioned, Exxon, of course, it is cheap still today. Um, trading below 15 times on the PE, and it has a dividend yielding 3.4% right now, ticker XOM. I talked about Berkshire Hathaway on the A shares, which is BRK uh, period A, but most of us can't afford those. You can get the B shares though, BRK.B. Then I talked about Microsoft, MSFT. I own that in my own personal portfolio, but I've not owned it 18 years yet. Um, I think it's been about six years. Uh, Sherwin-Williams, SHW, I've been waiting to buy it, but it's not cheap enough. And Fastenal, another one of my favorites, but also not cheap enough for me at F-A-S-T. F is in Frank, A, S is in Sam, T is in Tom. And as always, I'm aiming to bring you as many value stocks as I can. And I'm thinking about doing a podcast on the best books to read for value investors because there's some new ones out. There's some oldie favorites and I haven't done this podcast for a while. So that's going to be coming up. Be sure to get us on one of our platforms. You can get us on YouTube. Just put in Zach's podcast and you'll come up with our podcast page. But you can also get us on Zach's.com. There's a podcast uh, link up at the top. Just click on that. You can find all of our podcasts there. Also, you can get us on Apple Podcasts, of course. The Value Investor Podcast is on all the platforms, Spotify, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, but it's under the Zach's Market Edge on SoundCloud. But you can get us on basically everywhere. You can get the podcast these days, but be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next time with some more value stocks.
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.